What happens when one comes into close contact with Jesus? Pastor Ed Ray explains. Simeon, a Cyrenian, the father of Alexander and Rufus, as he was coming out of the country and passing by to bear his cross. Mark just gives these two names, Alexander and Rufus, because the early church obviously knew who they were. His two sons were famous. So this man was radically changed by this encounter with Jesus, just like most of us in this room. That's what happens when you have an encounter with God the Son. Zion, now filled with hands, and in this place gotta dwell with man. Sick be healed and the crippled stand singing hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son. Selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love, and harmony. I said, let this world know me by your we're excited to have the opportunity to go through the Word with you here on Grow in Grace. Did you know that every state in the USA has a state flower and a state tree as symbols? Some also have a state fish, a stone, or even a state insect. As a matter of fact, Massachusetts has 19 such symbols. But Christianity has just one, the cross. The cross reminds us of an enormous sacrifice and tremendous love. And today on Grow in Grace, we consider the price that was paid on our behalf as we resume our study of Luke's gospel. In Luke chapter 23 and verses 26 through 43, we find a detailed description of the crucifixion of Jesus. And it is right there where we'll spend the bulk of our time together here today. Here now is Pastor Ed Ray. We're in Luke chapter 23, working our way through the New Testament verse by verse. In verse 26, we're starting of Luke 23. Jesus is leaving Pilate, Praetorium, and he's headed towards Golgotha. Now, as they led Jesus away, they laid hold of a certain man, Simon, a Cyrenian, who was coming from the country, and on him they laid the cross that he might bear it after Jesus. And a great multitude of the people followed him, and women who also mourned and lamented him. But Jesus, turning to them, said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For in the days are coming in which they will say, Blessed are the barren wombs that never bore and the breasts which never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things in the green wood, what will be done in the dry? There were also two others, criminals, led with him to be put to death. And when they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And they divided his garments and cast lots. And the people stood looking on. But even the rulers with them sneered, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ, the chosen of God. The soldiers also mocked him, coming and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And an inscription also was written over him in letters of Greek, Latin, and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. Then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. 
But the other answering rebuked him saying, do you not even fear God seeing you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. The substitute, mistaken identity. People didn't get what was going on. I, I was reminded of a great story I read, looked it back up, in San Diego County not long ago. An elderly lady was shopping at the grocery store. She made her way through the checkout and pushing a cart, went to her car. But as she approached her car, she noticed four young men getting into her car. Well, she'd had trouble before, so she reached into her handbag and pulled out her licensed handgun and said to the young men, pointing it at them, you'd better get out of there. I know how to use this. And they wisely got out of the car and ran down the parking lot. She was feeling pretty good about herself, put her gun away, put her bags in the back of the car, sat down, put her key in the ignition, wouldn't start, wouldn't turn. She looks out the windshield and the next aisle over, was a car just like hers. It was hers. <laughs> she got out, took her bags out of the back, put them in her car and drove straight to the sheriff's department where she reported the incident. The sheriff listened to her intently. She showed him her license and her gun. And after he read everything, he started laughing. He said, did you notice those young men down there? She looked down, there were four young guys reporting their car being hijacked by a white haired lady. <laughs> Mistaken identity. Well, we're studying through the Bible together. We've gotten to a familiar part of the crucifixion of Jesus. It is a case of mistaken identity. It's a case of people that had no idea who it was that they were dealing with. It is Passover. It's the most celebrated feast of the Jewish calendar in that day. It's in Jerusalem where every good Jew wanted to come Every male 20 years old and older was required to come there if they were within traveling distance. So the place was hustling and bustling. Hundreds of thousands of extra people there. Every nook and cranny was filled with people, family, friends gathering together. But into this Passover, there was a typical Roman capital punishment scene being injected. The Romans did that every year to remind the Jews of Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. It was an iron-clenched, iron-fisted peace that was imposed on nations all over that Roman Empire, of course. But they made sure that the Jews remembered because it was a time when there were often rebellions. And this Passover is no different. There are three crosses planned that day just right outside the main gate of Jerusalem. A, a trial has taken place. We're breaking into the end of the trial. It was the most famous criminal trial that ever took place in history. It had an impact that would affect every single person who has ever lived, whoever will live, and whoever is alive today. It's the most important person that has ever lived on planet Earth on trial. And they don't understand who he is. Well... We are coming into the end of the trial as Jesus has been, in fact, sentenced to death. 
at the demands of the crowd. Pilate listened to the mob and he exchanged one of the criminals that was supposed to die that day, Barabbas. He was set free and Jesus, who was innocent, would die in this guilty man's place. This section breaks up into three parts. The first is this man, Simon, or Simeon, as they said, who carries the cross, verse 26 through 31, and he's greatly impacted, we'll see, from other scriptures. And then this sign that says, this is the king of the Jews, and that crucifixion that takes place under that sign, 32 to 38. And then one of the thieves, there are two, one of the criminals sentenced to death that day has a change of heart, and he begins to recognize who it is that he's with, verse 39 to 43. So it's a a fascinating story. There's movies, there's books, there's a constant stream every Easter and every Good Friday that we go over these sort of scriptures. So the danger is that we think we understand, that we think we get it. But let me encourage you that the Bible is like an onion, that it has many, many, many layers. And you and I will never exhaust the layers that are there. So when we come to a verse that we think we understand or a set of verses that we believe we already know, then it's the right time to pray and say, Lord, show me something here I haven't seen before. I want to be drawn into this story. I want to better understand what happened that day. If you'll do that, God will not disappoint you. Let's jump in to verse 26. Now, as they led Jesus away from the Praetorium, this, the seat of Pilate, they laid hold of this man. Now, the Praetorium is the court of justice that Pilate was in. It's fascinating that you can visit that site today. Archaeologists have uncovered the Roman courtroom, and we actually can visit it. That's the floor from the courtroom. You can't see it very clearly from that picture, but etched into the pavement stones are games, kind of like we would do tic-tac-toe or checkers today, where the guards would scribe this game called the game of the king into the stones. And so this is one of the places when you go to Israel, you can stand and know you're standing right where Jesus stood. It's interesting that it's about 15 feet below the surface of the modern streets of Jerusalem. And that's because Jerusalem has been destroyed over and over again. According to one author, 17 times the city has been destroyed and rebuilt, obviously 18 So down low, you can visit this spot. Now from that spot to Golgotha, Calvary, the the place where Jesus was crucified outside the northern gate is less than a thousand yards. It's not very far. But Jesus has been whipped and battered and bruised. Started in the high priest patio. It happened again before Herod. It happened again now after Pilate. The cat of nine tails was an infamous weapon used on the back of people who were chained to a pillar. And it was uh, a devastating punishment given to extract a confession. And it said that you would confess to every single thing you ever did from the time you can remember because your whole life went before you. And to extract a confession would normally work for most men, but Jesus had nothing to confess. And so he just stood there and took it. 
You're listening to Pastor Ed Ray on Grow in Grace. And we're considering what the Lord accomplished at Calvary from Luke chapter 23. So he's weak and he staggers out and he falls down in front of a man who is coming. Simeon, a Cyrenian who is coming from the country. He's coming in from the country through the Damascus Gate, the Northern Gate. And he has come from what we call today Libya. He is from the city of Cyrene. It's traditionally a Christian area. In fact, the writer of the Gospel of Mark was said to have been born in this same city where Simeon is from. Now, Simeon is probably an educated man. This is a university city. One of Socrates' disciples went there and started a school of philosophy. It's a beautiful area. You'd think it'd dry, but it's not. There's the archaeological site today. It's right next to the sea. Kyrie, where the name comes from, means spring in the Greek language. So it's a very lush valley that it's in, and it's a seaport. So he's traveled a great distance, probably his only trip, his once-in-a-lifetime trip to Jerusalem for the Passover. And he gets there to celebrate the Passover, and there's a hubbub going on. There's a mob scene going on in the streets. And he pushes his way through the crowd, and he finds himself right in front of this criminal who falls down, and then he feels a spear on his shoulder. It's called the the Hungarian Rite. A Roman soldier could conscript any person who was there. And if they put the point of their sword or their spear on your shoulder, you will (laughs) do what they say. In fact, you're required to carry their burden a mile. That's why in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said, if they ask you to go a mile, go two. And so Simeon feels the point of steel against his shoulder. And he takes up probably just the cross beam of a cross. And the stave, the center portion, was permanently in the ground. And he picks it up and he begins to walk with Jesus. I don't think he's happy about it. He doesn't realize who's with him, but he's going to. In fact, early church tradition tells us that he was radically changed by that moment. He followed Jesus to the cross in the Gospel of Mark, 1521. It says, they compelled a certain man, Simeon, a Cyrenian, the father of Alexander and Rufus, as he was coming out of the country and passing by to bear his cross. Mark just gives these two names, Alexander and Rufus, because the early church obviously knew who they were. His two sons were famous. So this man was radically changed by this encounter with Jesus, just like most of us in this room. That's what happens when you have an encounter with God the Son. He changes your perspective, your view of life. You never see life the same again. And this man would raise godly children who became very well known. So it's from this area that he comes and he takes up the cross. And then a huge multitude is following Jesus, verse 27. A great multitude of people followed Jesus and women who also mourned and lamented him. They're weeping, they're crying, although it was the majority of the crowd that demanded the switch, the exchange between Barabbas and Jesus. There were many there that day that loved him, and they couldn't believe their eyes. Here's the one who healed sick people, who only did good, who would touch blind people and they could see, deaf people and they could hear, people that couldn't speak suddenly were able to, leprosy, digits missing, dead people raised. Why? Why is he dying? And these women are weeping over it. Jesus stops 
And he gives them a prophetic statement, something that's prophecy that's going to happen. Verse 28, he turns to them and says, daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourself and your children because there's something coming. There's a terrible prophetic warning here of what's going to happen in Jerusalem within 40 years, verse 29. For indeed the days are coming in which they will say, blessed are the barren, the wombs that have never born, that don't have any children, the breasts that have never nursed. He's saying that this time coming within 40 years when people would be happier if they didn't have any children, they had to worry about feeding and taking care of. And Josephus, the historian, wrote that when this city was under siege for a year, that it got so bad, the famine inside the city, that people were forced to cannibalize the dead bodies and some women to eat their own dead children. And we'll just stop there. You get the idea. Verse 30. And then they will begin to say, to the mountains fall on us and to the hills cover us. Just kill us, quick. And this is a prophecy from Hosea. It's going to be so bad there. The Romans killing men, women, and children in the street. About one and a half million people killed in the street, according to Josephus. And another 97,000 hauled off into slavery. And then he makes a, a, an even more cryptic statement. Verse 31. For if they do these things to the green wood, what will be done to the dry? It was a common saying, evidently, of that day. If the Romans would do such evil on Jesus, full of life, imagine what they would do to the nation of Israel that was dead spiritually. Warning from Jesus. So Simon is deeply impacted. Then other criminals are watching, starting in verse 32, his identity. Two others, criminals, led with them to be put to death. And uh, this is a, to fulfill the prophecy about the Messiah, Isaiah 53, verse 12. He was numbered among the transgressors, the sinners, the criminals that said 600 years before Isaiah predicted this. He was numbered with the transgressors, yet he himself bore the sins of many, and he interceded for the transgressors. He prayed for those who were, in fact, guilty, now, this isn't surprising that he was called among sinners because he was that way through his whole ministry. He was numbered among the sinners, if you will. He was accused of being a Sabbath breaker, of being a drunkard, of being a glutton, of hanging out with tax collectors and prostitutes. I mean, this man eats with sinners, they said. And of course, that's the good news for you and I because we are sinners and he invites us to come. These two criminals... Lawbreakers, literally evil workers. Matthew 27 says they were robbers or thieves that used the money they got to support an insurrection. Evidently, they were part of Barabbas' band. The leader and two of his generals probably were going to be crucified that day. As a statement to the rest of Jerusalem, don't come against the clenched Roman fist or you will be crucified. And when they had come to the place called Calvary, Cranion, where we get the word cranium, the Greek word, skull. When you come to this place called skull, and if you would go to Israel, and again, I recommend that you do, every believer should, and you come and look at the side of this cliff that at Gordon's Calvary, you'll see two very obvious eye holes, and it looks like a skull and a nose hole. When the Romans cleared the northern road around the northern part of the city, they blasted and they, they worked their way through solid rock 
And it just so happened that it came out looking like a skull, round top, two eyes, and a nose hole. It's offset a little bit by the smell of diesel. The Airbus station is right next to it, but you can't miss that it looks like a skull. So it's there that they took him. It's right outside the gate. It's a prominent place because the Romans were using this as a deterrent. They wanted everybody to be afraid. It was that kind of a statement to everyone around them. And there, it says they crucified him. That's so simple, the words, but so penetrating. It says that Jesus was led like a lamb to the slaughter. I take that to mean that he allowed them to crucify him. Now, now normally, the Romans would scourge the criminal who was being put to death or the victim, and then the soldiers would put their knees on his arm and nail it with a big square Roman nail through the, the portion we would call the wrists. The Greek word for hands includes everything from the fingers to the elbow. And so they held him down and then pinned him, and of course, flailing and fighting and screaming. But I read... Jesus led as a lamb to a slaughter that he extended his own arm and left it there. Did he wince? Oh, did he cry out? Doesn't say that he did. But man, it makes you want to grit your teeth, doesn't it? And they crucified him there. And these other two criminals together, one on the right, one on the left. Now, there's an interesting side note that I want you to see that they're doing exactly what the law said is supposed to happen for someone who had committed a capital crime under the Jewish law, too. It's Deuteronomy 21-22. If a man has committed a sin deserving of death, and he is put to death, and you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain overnight on the tree, but you shall surely bury him that day, so that you do not defile the land which the Lord your God has given you as an inheritance, for he who is hanged is accursed of God, carries a curse from God. That's exactly what Paul wrote to the Galatians in the New Testament, Galatians 3.13. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs from a tree. So they were fulfilling the Roman law. They were fulfilling the law of Moses. They were doing it the way that they were supposed to. Not a coincidence. This is all part of God's foreknowledge and plan. Verse 34, and Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. They failed to recognize the Messiah when he was right there in front of them. When he did all the works that the prophets said that he would do, they still refused to accept that he was the Messiah. Why? Because he wasn't doing it the way they wanted him to. They wanted the Messiah to be the military ruler who would get rid of the Romans, who would lead them back into their glory days when they were once the most important nation in the Middle East. This man was suffering and dying. He can't be the Messiah, they're thinking. 1 Corinthians 2.8, Paul said, for if they had understood it, if they would not have crucified the Lord. Of course, that doesn't mean that they deserve forgiveness, but he gives it anyway. Someone is watching Someone's listening to these words. Father, forgive them. What is that? Crucifying him? People stood by. You're listening to Grow in Grace with our pastor and Bible teacher, Ed Ray. You'll find us online at thepackinghouse.org. And that's a great place to go and hear this program again. 
That's thepackinghouse.org. Or call and ask for a CD copy at 844-77-GRACE. You know, it takes a team to bring you Grow in Grace, and we look to our listeners to help make all this possible. If you'd like to make a contribution, you can call 844-77-GRACE. And as you do, be sure to request our special offer available for a gift of any amount. It's a book written by Gene Edwards called The Tale of Three Kings. It's based on the biblical figures of David, Saul, and Absalom. If you've ever experienced pain, loss, or heartache at the hands of other believers, this will be very encouraging to you. There's comfort, healing, and hope to be found in A Tale of Three Kings. And again, we'll send it your way for a gift of any amount. You can reach us at 844-77-GRACE. That's 844-77-GRACE. And even if you're not in a position to be able to give, we still want to hear from you. Your email would be a great encouragement to Pastor Ed. This lets us know where Grow in Grace is having an impact by God's grace. Our email address is packinghouseradio at aol.com. That's packinghouseradio at aol.com. And then join us for the next Grow in Grace when Pastor Ed Ray will pick up where we left off in the Gospel of Luke. This program is brought to you by Packing House Christian Fellowship in Redlands, California. Zion, now filled with hands, and in this place gotta dwell with man. Sick be healed and the crippled stand singing hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son, selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love, and harmony. I said let this world know me by your 